Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everything you do is making an impact in this world. This is not an elitist issue. This is a quality of life issue. How dare you? And I feel like it's my responsibility as a human being. So what? The world is at stake. What, like it's hard? Hello, hello. Welcome back to Eco Chic. My name is Laura Diaz. It's so good to have you here today. Today's episode is timely. It is a news-related conversation we're going to be having, and dare I say, it's going to get a little juicy. It seems like there are tons of mainstream news headlines this week talking about COP, the Conference of Parties held by the United Nations. So today, we're going to talk all about COP. We're getting into what it is, why it's important, what to expect, and why there is definitely some inequities, dare I say, shortcomings of COP this year. I've got a lot of ground to cover. I've got a long list of bullet points I want to get through with y'all. So let's just jump right in. Again, what are we even talking about? What is the Conference of Parties? What is COP? COP is an annual event hosted by the United Nations, and it's essentially like the Super Bowl of climate change and climate commitments. I mentioned COP is annual. Last year, there was no COP because of COVID, and each COP is marked with a number to represent its timeline, so which number COP it is in the succession of COPs. This one going on this week, kicking off on Monday, November 1st, going on for two weeks, is COP26, and it is being held in Glasgow, Scotland. The first COP was held in Berlin in 1995. So I think it's important for our context to understand that governments around the world have been getting together for 26 years to talk about climate commitments. For a little bit more context on the timeline, the Paris Agreement was signed at COP21, which was in 2015, now six years ago. Obviously, that one was held in Paris. The countries that attend COP are countries that have signed on to the main climate treaty of the world, again, hosted by the UN. The treaty is called the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change. So this is the biggest and baddest agreement to do something about climate change, and we have all of these governments getting together to say, yes, sure, we're going to do something. Let's get to an idea of what we're actually trying to achieve. Scientists widely understand that the threshold for stable human life on Earth is 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels. 
I think this is really important for us to set the scene with this 1.5 number because it's something that gets tossed a lot around, not just in the context of COP, but in the context of climate change and climate solutions and what can we get done in a timely fashion. We, as a global society, are currently on track to hit 1.5 by the year 2030. So if you've vaguely heard about corporate climate commitments or even national climate goals, This is why we hear so much about 1.5, that means 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial temperatures, and also why we are trying to effectively, quote, beat this 2030 guesstimate. The next best thing would be to keep warming below 2 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels, and that is understood to be a little bit more within reach given how much progress, or dare I say, lack of progress, has been made on a clean energy economy. This also goes along with like technological advancements, equity work, all of the big things that need to get done to get global warming to a minimum. It's essentially a big convention of government leaders of delegates getting together and saying, all right, what do we want to do about climate change this year? How are we going to beat our last COP commitments? In order for these countries to get together and make some plans and actually be effective, Everyone comes to COP with some accounting of both how they're doing and what they can commit to doing. Leading up to this gathering in Glasgow this year, countries have made updated action pledges. We call these Nationally Determined Contributions, NDCs. These are totally voluntary commitments, which I want us to remember, there is no binding policy that happens at COP. It's a government saying it's going to do something. Whether or not they follow through on those climate commitments are totally up to them. Now, here's the scary part. The commitments that are made by the Paris Agreement, like I said, in 2015 at that COP, have largely not been achieved. And in our recent history, the Paris Agreement is what we use to say the governments are getting together and doing something about climate change. It was a really landmark treaty or agreement. And the commitments in that agreement have really not been upheld. Had we, as a global society, again, aggressively committed to phasing out fossil fuels and uplifting climate solutions over the last six years, we'd be a lot closer to securing that 1.5 degree threshold. However, even if today we are all on board with the commitments from the Paris Agreement, again in 2015, those agreements would still not be enough to keep us from that threshold. To take this one step further, I think we have to remember that climate change is a global issue. It's not like one country will be spared from this 1.5 degrees of warming because they scaled up their electric vehicle markets, and another country did not do that. This means that there are major emitters, countries with really large climate impacts, and if they don't follow through, everyone will suffer. At this point in the conversation, we hear very often like, oh, what about China? Yes. If China doesn't step up, it is unlikely that the COP will deliver the full promise that it is going to keep us within 1.5 degrees. However, similarly, the U.S. has a lot to deliver on, a lot of policy, a lot of really serious economic shifts that need to happen very quickly for this giant country to contribute significantly to, quote unquote, saving the planet. There are a lot of countries, particularly in the global south, that are just now deploying energy systems, and they need to do so without fossil fuels. So a lot of the time, this is understood in the context of emerging markets that need to improve their commitments. All that to say is, it's not a moment for finger-pointing. It's not all about China. It's not all about the U.S. It's not all about the global south. 
it is really a moment of collective action. It's about maintaining this ambition and this momentum. And again, remembering the global nature of this problem. There is significant support also being pledged to financing a lot of these solutions in nations that don't yet have access to climate conscious systems. Again, uplifting everyone. Everyone needs to work together. As wholesome and nice as that sounds, it's a matter of quite literally life and death. I read a great metaphor somewhere about cop commitments that's really stuck with me. It was something along the lines of saying we'll reach net zero by 2050 is like not studying all semester, but betting that you will get 100% on the final exam. To reach these major ambitious pledges, there needs to be very progressive and dare I say aggressive policy and societal shift that needs to happen before we can even start claiming that we are, quote, on track to meet those 1.5 degree goals. So what do we actually want to see from COP? We want to see nations really stepping up with big time climate pledges in order to maintain this 1.5 degrees of warming. We want nations to demonstrate what they're actually going to do. We don't just want pledges, but we want plans of action to achieve these climate goals. We want really quick turnaround on these climate goals because we know that, again, we're on track to meet this threshold by 2030. So we need nations not only to commit to solutions, but we need to commit to deploying those solutions really, really quickly. And then lastly, as I mentioned, we also need some commitments for funding climate solutions in less developed countries and in countries that do not yet have the capital to deploy all of these solutions or to get to their development goals in an environmentally conscious, climate conscious way. Now that we've gotten deep into what COP is, what to expect, and what we want, I think it's also really important to shine a light on the inequities associated with COP. First off, it is wildly expensive to attend COP. It is political and competitive to get a badge to go into the event and then to stay around this event area. There is some really serious price gauging. Is it gauging or gouging? I kind of feel like it's gouging and I just said that incorrectly, but I'm just going to go ahead and leave it in there so y'all know that I'm a little unsure. I'm going to go either way on that one. It is wildly expensive to attend COP. It's wildly expensive to stay in the area. Airline tickets are many, many more times more expensive than typical. Hotel rooms and Airbnbs are going for hundreds, if not thousands, more than usual. Taxis and Ubers are at a very steady surge. It's not affordable. And that means that the countries represented are the countries that can afford to spend thousands upon thousands of dollars sending their delegates. We cannot expect accurate representation from the global south. Let's also remember that we are still living in COVID times. Who is vaccinated? Generally speaking, it's the U.S., it's European nations. Other countries do not have access to patents to make their own COVID vaccines, and we're not producing enough Pfizer and Moderna to ship out and vaccinate the world. You have to be vaccinated to get into the event. You have to be a wealthy enough nation to have vaccines in the first place. And it's this very vicious cycle of vaccine apartheid is what I've been hearing it called. Wild, wild inequities across the board in just getting a seat at the table. I want us to wrap with some positivity and a big reason that this particular COP is especially important for the global climate goals. In the same building that all of these governments and delegates are getting together, we also have a second COP going on. This is the COP of the private sector of financial institutions who are also making climate commitments. 
This private sector cop is, of course, also going to be inequitable. But the interesting thing about the private sector cop is that these are major wealthy organizations, corporations, businesses, banks that are committing to making a difference, which is also a really fascinating lens to take. We're also seeing organizations and cities and universities, indigenous tribes, everyone showing up to this second cop that is not the typical government representative. We're seeing Biden cabinet members in the regular UN government cop, and then we're seeing Wells Fargo at this private sector cop, just to give some perspective on these very two different but similar events. The cop of the private sector is interesting because these are people outside of formal governments, again, that have the power to make real change. Sustainability is really attractive to consumers. People are demanding more from businesses that they're spending their money with. But we also know that low carbon is the future of the economy. It is the most financially, economically attractive route forward for a lot of these businesses, whether or not they're big climate change advocates. This private sector cop is going to be a really hot space to watch. Hopefully, we're going to be seeing some commitments, like from major banks and financial institutions. I'm really hopeful we see a big shift in conversation about divesting from fossil fuel projects. And hopefully, we're also going to see more climate-conscious offerings from product-based companies. So, for instance, one headline that I really, really loved last week was Hertz, the rental car company, announced that it's going to be replacing 20% of its car fleet with Teslas. There's a few things in that headline that I really loved. Access to EVs is becoming easier, EVs, electric vehicles. Offering more of them as rentals means more access, more more Teslas in your fleet means that they have to be cost competitive because there is more supply. And there's also this social side to it where this may be the first time that a lot of people are interacting and experiencing EVs. We are normalizing electric vehicles. Hertz is normalizing electric vehicles. We know transportation is the sector with the most directly associated emissions. So transitioning our transportation sector into a low carbon sector is wildly important for us as a country, as a world, to fight climate change. Making EVs easier to rent and experience also means, again, this social shift in how the general public interacts with and thinks of electric vehicles. It's only a matter of time before we see economic policy and subsidies to incentivize people to switch from traditional combustion engine vehicles to EVs. Renting them is a great first step. There is one last thing I want to acknowledge before we wrap up all of this COP talk. With this private sector COP going on, we've recognized that the markets seem to be there. Markets for low-carbon technologies, for low-carbon products and offerings and services. We also know that there is public pressure demanding climate action. The economics of decarbonizing are attractive and financially the smart move. We've also recognized that there are plenty of people and nations being left out of the COP conversation. Who is getting a seat at the table? Fossil fuel companies. Isn't that ironic and a little hypocritical inviting fossil fuel companies to a convention about saving the world from a catastrophic disaster? We can very clearly tie to those businesses. I am like clapping, yelling, egging myself on here because it is nuts to think that fossil fuel companies are at a convention about stopping climate change. Why are they there? 
There is huge, huge money in fossil fuels. There is huge pull from these lobbying groups, and there are still plenty of people benefiting from our ongoing spiral closer and closer to that 1.5 degree threshold. It's not just about who has a seat at the table, but why they have a seat at the table and what kind of influence comes along with that. That being said, I have high hopes for this COP, for COP26. And I have hope that both the government and private sector commitments will be met with real action. Again, let's keep these people accountable. Let's demand better. If you are listening to this episode on the day it comes out, today is the second day of COP, and I want to leave you with a quote from Opening Day by Sir David Attenborough. If working together we are a force powerful enough to destabilize our planet, surely working together we are powerful enough to save it. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of Eco Chic. If you want to get in touch, if you want to share it on your Instagram story, tag me. I'm on Instagram at Eco Chic Podcast. All of my links are always in the show notes. And I will also list in the show notes a few climate activists that you can follow along on Twitter and on Instagram so that you can stay up to date with folks that are actually there and doing the work. So off the top of my head, queer brown vegan, my friend Isaiah, we have Christy, brown girl green. We have a few other activists that I am a really big fan of on Twitter that I will go ahead and share in the show notes as well. And news sources that I have been really enjoying that will be doing some great cop coverage include Canary Media and Vox. I like both of their newsletters and also the New York Times has a climate forward newsletter that I really enjoy. It comes out on Wednesdays, but for more day-to-day coverage, totally get on people's Twitters, follow the timelines, follow the conversations on the ground as they happen. I hope you have a fabulous rest of your day. Thank you again so much for tuning in. Next week, we are talking with Tanya Hester, author of Wallet Activism, on both spending money and demanding action from government agencies. Really fascinating conversation and totally on track with this. So hope to see you again next week. Hope you have a great rest of your day and I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.